0: This is the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. Stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue for the best liquor, beer, and wine deals in the River Valley.
1: Arkansas wins the national championship.
0: Check out Eastside Liquor on Facebook for weekly specials.
1: Say
2: goodbye. Darren McFadden, 80 yards, touchdown.
0: Subscribe to the Hit That Line Podcast Network, brought to you by Breeden RV Center. Breeden RV Center, family-owned and operated, a no-pressure, laid-back atmosphere, and always home of the free maintenance for life.
2: Since 1958, you and I have really grown up together through the good times and the bad. The transistor radio is what bound us together. By the way, were you at the Coliseum when we sang happy birthday to an umpire? Were you among the crowd that groaned at one of my puns? Or did you kindly laugh at one of my little jokes? Did I put you to sleep with the transistor radio tucked under your pillow? You know, you were simply always there for me. I've always felt that I needed you more than you needed me, and that holds true to this very day.
3: That was the sign-off of the one and only Vin Scully at the end of the 2016 baseball season, his last of 67 years calling Los Angeles Dodgers games. And a great life came to an end yesterday, as you know very well. It's going to be kind of a difficult day to get through, to be quite honest, for me. I'm uh, somebody that is uh, quite emotional about the game of baseball, and when you throw radio into it, it uh, makes it even a little bit more emotional for me. Uh, and and it's, it's obvious, obviously a very sad day. Uh, this is a day that... Uh, I think uh, baseball fans, sports fans, people that just like good storytelling and good radio is uh, definitely, uh, y- you always appreciated what you heard from, from Vin Scully. I mean, I always want to try to celebrate somebody's life when they've lived what was an incredibly full, long life. But you also can't just discount the sadness that people feel with a, uh, with a hero and one that is uh, viewed as such coast to coast. Uh, passing away yesterday at the age of 94. So we've got a lot of Vin Scully sound to play throughout this uh, this show today. And if you've got any memories, I know I'm talking to a lot of Cardinals fans, a lot of Cardinals fans out there. I know you don't like the Dodgers. <laughs> no one's ever going to tell you to, but I, have, I, I imagine for for every Cardinal fan out there that idolized Jack Buck and, and loved Mike Shannon, uh, you, you probably feel the same way. About Vin Scully, which which says a lot, which says a lot, because in sports, Drew Maddie, um, there's vitriol that's thrown around from one fan base to another. Uh, but when it when it comes to the 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 people who tell the story of these teams, you you reserve uh, you reserve that you reserve that aside and appreciate um, a person's talents and abilities to. Tell the story of the game that's happening right on the field. Tell stories of the players and the umpires and uh, the people that run the teams uh, at the very same time. Describe what you're seeing around the stadium and do it in a way that connects with the audience. Uh, because when I when I think of like when I think of Vin Scully and his and his style, the, it, it connected so perfectly. With the sport that he was that he worked and and Scully did golf he did NFL football mm-hmm. obviously known much more for his time behind the microphone with the Brooklyn Dodgers and with uh, the LA Dodgers and and then the national telecasts of course the '86 World Series called the uh, uh, Kirk Gibson's famous uh, home run which we'll play in a moment a little bit of a longer call than than some of the other uh, versions of that call that you'll hear and. Uh, I, I just, this, this, this is a day that, that, that hits me in the fields. I think of the word romantic when I think of, of Vince Scully. Uh, and the, the look, people get a little bit overly cheesy about the romanticism of baseball and the pace of it and, and everything like mm. that. But I don't think you do when it comes to, to the way that a broadcaster connects with an audience and the game and the team. And it was just a perfect confluence of somebody's talents, understanding of, of what he's doing, and I got to be honest, like, I don't think Vin Scully was the was just the greatest baseball broadcaster of all time. I think he might be the greatest broadcaster of all time. And that's in every avenue of broadcasting, not just sports. He was perfect and a life very well lived.
4: Yes, yeah, so a life very well lived. I mean, uh, did a lot of, lot of great things in his 94 years. And when you think about Vin Scully, I mean, regardless of... Whether you grew up a Dodgers fan, whether you grew up a baseball fan, he's somebody that you can respect and admire uh, across the sports because, you know, his voice is connected to so many great sports, sporting events, you know, outside of baseball. You think about the NFL, obviously the big one that's been played uh, a lot today and very well. So Uh, the catch with the 49ers and the Dallas Cowboys, Joe Montana, Dwight Clark, um, you know, that's a huge one. And you just can respect the talent that it really does take to not only do a baseball broadcast, but to do it solo for 67 years and to never run out of things to say and never, you know, not bring your A game. Because he brought his A game every single night to the ballpark. And for a career that's gone that long and for what he means to so many people, uh, it makes, you know, someone like me remember, you know, why they decided that they wanted to do radio. You know, I originally wanted, uh, don't get me wrong, I love doing this radio show, but that's not the reason I got into radio was to do, you know, a two, three-hour show Monday through Friday. The real reason I wanted to get into into radio was so that I never had to miss a ball game again. I remember listening to games, and I know it's going to sound strange to anyone uh, who's just been following sports for the last 10 years, there was a day and age where not every game was on the television. There was a day and age where you didn't get to see highlights of every single game on Center or, or directly on your phone. The only way that you could have a connection to that game outside of reading about it the next day in the morning paper was to listen to it live on air. I mean, I've, I've shared many uh, memories of of. St- around the radio or, you know, in, in a truck with my father listening to, listening to games growing up. And I remember thinking about one, there's, there's one game that always sticks out to, to me when, you know, just when it comes to my love for radio and what I wanted to get into this thing, it was a Memphis, Tennessee game. I think it was 2005. uh, I believe it was, it was on TV, but it was on pay-per-view and um, you know, we didn't have that ability at the time to, to get that channel. So, me, my father, and brother, we did some yard work and listened to it on the radio. And I thought to myself, man, that's got to be the coolest job. I get to watch every single game and I get paid for it. Yeah, the yeah. ability to get paid to go to the ballpark. And that's what Vince Gulley was able to do for 67 years well, and not just do people, it, but I do he, it well.
3: I think he inspired people to try to get into the industry and nobody was ever able to do it as well. As no. him. And I think you could hear sometimes people that were like imitating him in some ways, because when you grew up in Southern California, that literally was the soundtrack of your summers and therefore your life at the same time. Uh, and it just, I think, became ingrained in people. Um, but but Scully was still known coast to coast at a time where, just like you said, not every game is on television, and the radio broadcasts were much more mm-hmm. regional. I mean, you didn't have satellite radio, you didn't have the apps. you know, MLB.com. That's how I really started to listen to Vin Scully. Um, actually, that's not true. Uh, the 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 the. I watched, you know, all the postseason games. I watched all the World Series games, and he and, and he would do those games. I didn't necessarily, at the age of seven or eight, connect with, hey, this is the voice of the Dodgers, mm-hmm. who worked with who worked with Red Barber. Not like I would have known who Red Barber was at the age of seven or eight. Who called Sandy Koufax's perfect games, every one of them. Who. Uh, who called Hank Aaron? Who had the better call of the two famous calls of Hank Aaron's record-breaking home run? Better than Milo Hamilton, and I think a better call of Jack Buck's uh, of uh, of uh, Kirk Gibson's famous home run, a little better than Jack Buck. And not to be critical about the other two, the Cardinal fans might disagree with you because the <laughs> Scully, well, it wasn't a Cardinal moment. Scully no, no. was so good at letting the crowd do the talking, and one, and I have the the Kirk Gibson call, which includes an explanation from Scully as to why. He let the crowd do its thing. I listened to Scully intently when I moved to California in the year 2000 to work for a single-A team in Stockton, and I was very lucky then. I really didn't know what I was doing. That was like my third year ever calling baseball games, and I was, I was as green as the grass used to be before we had a drought. Um, but in California then, two of the best – One of them still doing it, John Miller on KNBR in San Francisco. And then there was and then there was Vin Scully in Southern California. You could pick up those two broadcasts almost no matter where you were in the state of California. There was a station playing one of those two broadcasts. I probably learned more listening to the two of them intently than any outside of doing the games myself. You learn more by doing things than you do by listening to somebody else. I had a chance to meet Scully. My friend we'll have a my friend on tomorrow Josh mm. Rawich he worked for the Dodgers PR department then he now is the president of the National Baseball Hall of Fame he grew up listening to Vin idolized him and then worked with him for for quite a while before moving on to the D-backs we'll have Josh on tomorrow to talk about his remembrances of uh, the great Vin Scully, and what he was like as a person, I got a little bit of a window into what he was like as a person because I sat next to Josh for a game. This would have been, I think, early August of 2000, a Cubs-Dodgers game that went over four hours long. Um, I'll never forget seeing Darren Dreyford hit two home runs for the Dodgers. A pitcher hitting two homers in a game was different. Uh, four, a, a poor Cubs rookie gave up four homers in one inning. The game went four hours, and Josh insisted on inv- on on introducing me to Vin Scully when Vin came out of his booth. And, and after a four-hour broadcast, I mean, the, he, the broadcast he did was well over four and a half mm. hours. And he, he stood there with me for five to ten minutes and made me feel like I was the only person on earth. And I'm, sit, I'm standing there. You remember we talked about moments you shake somebody's hand and your hand goes numb? Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm shaking this person's hand. I felt like my whole body went numb at that moment. And, and he was as gracious as you could have ever expected somebody to be, where he probably just wanted to go home and go to sleep <laughs> after a four and a half hour broadcast. But I think that was the sort of interaction that hundreds of thousands of people um, were lucky to have with with Vin Scully uh, throughout his lifetime. And I think that goes to the to the very end because you know he was he was just very he was gracious and great at what he did. he knew it, but there was no ego there whatsoever. 877-377-6963. If you want to get on halftime. I do have this this call from Kirk Gibson's home run. You hear, you hear the call, and it's it usually that people just boil it down to like the famous 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. The she is gone and 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 that's it. I got a the two minutes. I got something over two minutes here. Over two minutes, because there's a setup, there's the call, there's the silence and the crowd. And I've got an explanation of 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 what Scully does, why he lets the crowd do its thing, on an interview that he that he's that he sat down in 1990 with David Letterman. We do have a caller on hold, so let's take the phone call, and then we'll have a break here. Um, Mason has called halftime, and doesn't sound like you're interested in talking Vin Scully, but we'll talk basketball, I guess. So what's up, Mason?
1: How's it going, guys?
3: Doing I'm well. a little sad today.
5: Yeah. Yeah, it's a sad day for all sports fans. It, you know, that, that one hits home for a lot of people, including myself. Um,
6: I love the MLB, and I watch the Dodgers quite a bit, and there won't be another one like him for sure.
3: That's uh, absolutely correct, wanted... and there shouldn't be. Let's not try <laughs> to make somebody just like Vince Scully because there's only going to be one. But what you got?
6: Exactly. I mean, I just want to talk a little bit about the – I know football is rolling around and everything, but it seems like everybody's – talking about that, but I just want to talk about uh, the basketball team. Uh, I just had a question. I want to pick your guys' brains on, you know, obviously our star players, Jordan Walsh, Anthony Black, and uh, Nick Smith are going to do, you know, a lot of the, the heavy load, but who's going to be that guy that comes off the bench that helped us out, that's going to help us out a lot like Trey Wade did um, throughout that stretch in the um, in the tournament? Mm-hmm. I just want to know who you, who you guys like and on um, kind of the dark horse player-wise, on who we're not expecting to, you know, have a breakout performance season that's going to help us.
3: Man, I mean, that's a really good question, and I think they're trying to figure that out right now, really. I mean, it's if it's about figuring out what the seven or eight or maybe mm-hmm. nine-man rotation is, it feels like there's too much talent on this team for just a seven-player right. rotation, to be honest here. yeah. Uh, as far as, like, who's your, like, glue guy off the bench is going to be, I, I don't really even know which where where to take you in this because we don't know who the starting five is going to be yet. But maybe may like a like a, a Mikkel Mitchell, you know, a guy that's going to protect the rim. Uh, I don't know if he'll start on a game by game basis. Uh, but when I thought of Trey Wade, like he defended well, mm-hmm. he rebounded really well. He was a good passer. Right. And Every once in a while, he dropped like twelve to fifteen. You know, like he did in the Sweet Sixteen. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe Mikkel Mitchell is, is that sort of player, but I think they're still trying to figure that out. Uh, you know, maybe this uh, this European tour uh, is uh, is 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 one of those moments. These four games that'll help figure things out for them, as far as that's concerned.
4: The guy that I've been you know, pretty high on for for a while since watching things about him and uh, you know Arkansas native Deere and Ford, I think he's going to be a, a great guy off the bench. I, I don't really see him being you know a trade Wade or even. Even the year before, a J.D. Note, But it may be a a combination of both. I think he can come in, get some points. He can be a real high-energy guy, that guy that's not afraid to to use his body. I saw him when I was at practice last week, saw him play really good uh, high-intensity defense. Uh, If he can bring that type of stuff off the bench and kind of light that spark, I think he could definitely be that guy. And uh, ultimately, for the under... I, mean, I can't remember what's the... I'm drawing a blank on the on the, on the kid's name, um, but I think it's going to be who can ever create... give you that three-ball presence, you know, because you look back at the team last year, and it was one of the worst three-point shooting teams, um, not just in the SEC, but in college basketball in general. The guy that can constantly put up threes is a guy who's going to stay on the court, and it's going to be interesting to really see who that's going to be. And that, that that could be you know anybody from Anthony Black to Nick Smith or a guy that's further down the line. And right. it, it's killing me that I can't remember the dude's name because I watched him play last week, and he had a really good stroke. I need to pull the roster up. That's uh, on me.
3: Brazil. I hope you're not saying it's it's Ricky Council because I think Ricky Council is going to be one of your starters. Ricky Council's a starter. That's not yeah, who he's I'm thinking of. going to be one of, of your starters. I think he can shoot from the outside. I'll look it up during the break. He can shoot from the outside. They're going to have a little more option as far as uh, three-point shooting.
4: That's it, Joseph Pinion. He has a really good stroke. I think if he can stay above 35% from beyond the arc, he could be a guy that could get it done. Hey, Mason, we got to run. We're up against a break here. Appreciate the phone call. Thank you very much.
3: 877-377-6963 to get on halftime. Clay Henry, bottom of the hour. Bill King, hour number two, and we'll come right back. It's halftime.
4: Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports development. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet Online, where the game starts.
2: Was a short chant. Pedro, Pedro, as they did in Boston in the 86 World Series to try and taunt Strawberry. And now they're doing it to Guerrero, hoping to distract him, hoping to upset him, hoping perhaps to make him try too hard. Fernando ready in the strike two pitch is hit back to the box, dribbling to second. Samuel on the bag, close to first, double play. Fernando Valenzuela has pitched a no-hitter at 10.17 in the evening of June the 29th, 1990. If you have a sombrero, throw it to the sky.
3: <laughs> what a
2: fantastic
3: call of uh, the first and only no-hitter. In the uh, career of Fernando Valenzuela, there were two no-hitters in Major League Baseball on that very same day. Dave Stewart threw one as hmm. well. I think there were seven no-hitters in Major League Baseball that year, and uh, that had to be the absolute best call. If you got a sombrero, throw it in the air. <laughs> Love it. We got Wade and Branch, who's giving us a call on halftime. Eight seven seven three seven seven sixty nine sixty three. Wade, good to talk to you, man. How are you?
6: Good. How are, uh, how are you, Bill, and Maddie and Drew doing?
7: We're all right. Chris. Great. Thank you for asking. Been well, I'm, I'm
6: kind like of like you. I'm bummed out. Yeah. And uh, I got home from work last night at, after 10 o'clock, and uh, I tuned in and I got the news about uh, Ben. And uh, I, I'll tell you what, guys, I almost cried. And because I'll tell you what, I grew up in Northern California, and, uh, my dad, he bought me a transistor radio. I was really proud of that thing because I, I, always loved to listen to ball games. And, uh, and I didn't watch a lot of TV that much. You know, I, I kind of in my own, own thing. And, uh, I, I love sports. And if the Giants weren't playing on, on the radio, if they're off and the Dodgers are playing, I'd tune into the Dodgers game. Uh, on KFI radio and, uh, Ben Scully, I didn't know what he looked like, but I said, man, what a voice and what he was so smooth. And, and the the way he presented and tell stories, you know, during the innings, it was just, it was just, uh, unreal. Now I'd like Lon Simmons, Lon Simmons was the giants and main announcer, uh, during the seventies. And, uh, he was, he was funny. But uh, Ben Scully was just absolutely phenomenal and and uh um it, cause i you know i it was an honor and privilege just to you know I was so so young then that I heard his voice and then I finally got to see him on t v when he was doing football games, you know and he he'd do football games and and the guy was just so natural i mean I've never seen a natural uh uh individual in my life that can can do this stuff and and but um you know wait uh, let me let me cut want, in for a moment here just
3: to talk about about the way he that he spoke cuz Scully started his career with the Dodgers in 1950 there was a very specific style of announcing then mm. you know the term network announcer i mean it comes for a reason because yeah. everybody was coached to sound in a very specific way Scully didn't sound like that he sounded he sounded like a like a like a like a country stream flowing downhill yeah. a little bit. You know what I mean? Just as smooth as just as, as smooth as yeah. silk. He wasn't a network announcer, um, and I think people appreciated that. He didn't sound like everybody else, and it turned out everybody just wanted to mimic him.
6: Yeah, absolutely. He was he was, he was unbelievable. He was, he was he was great. And I, I didn't like the Dodgers, but I liked him. <laughs> Isn't
3: that funny how that works out? Hey, uh, Wade, appreciate the phone call, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Wade. Yeah, and it's like, so I I grew up listening to Steelers games in Pittsburgh. Myron Cope was the color commentator, and he was, uh, what do they call it, like beer to a uh, a, 12-year-old, an acquired taste, right? (laughs) It's disgusting the first time you hear it. But eventually you might acquire a taste for it, and it might sound good. I felt the same way about Mike Shannon. You know, if you growing up in St. Louis, I know that might have been part of the sound of summer. It was a difficult listen at first, and then it became familiar. Vin Scully was never a hard listen. He was familiar from the moment you heard it. So friendly, so perfect. Chuck in Bentonville, thanks for the phone call. Chuck, you're on halftime. What's up? Hi. Hey, we got you. Go for it. Oh, Phil, I met you at Houston Trotter.
8: I uh, told you I played for Coach Brian. Um This was a few years back, but uh, I, I do have my Ben Scully story, which is, you remember his last game that he called? Went to extra innings, so we got bonus Scully. That's great. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, it was one of those guys that you had to listen to. Um, whether, you know, you were a Dodgers fan or not, and I, I sort of take... A little bit of responsibility I wore my Dodgers shirt yesterday Um, but I also think that the trade of Joey Gallo going to the Dodgers that Vin Scully probably was like I can't take this the guy that strikes out 50% of the time like I don't want to watch this anymore I'm out
3: Um, Uh, Vin wouldn't have been into the three true outcomes very much I,
8: I think I think for him he couldn't have taken that Uh, so, but yeah, no, it's, it's a sad day. Um, I love listening to him. I love Jack Buck, Harry Carey. We're, we're losing a lot of, you know, legendary baseball guys, you know, that, that we've had. And it it really stinks, but, uh, no, appreciate listening to you. I, uh, whenever I played, um, I, I always sat next to Chuck Barrett in uh at the boarding gate um when when we had to fly commercial, you know, these guys now don't have to fly commercial. Um thank goodness. And uh his his St. Louis stories and his wealth of knowledge of baseball is is awesome and so is yours. And uh this is my first time to call in but really appreciate what y'all doing. It's a sad day
3: for baseball. Chuck I appreciate you. Don't don't make it the last time you call. Thank you so much for uh I could hear some emotion in your voice there, and I'm battling that all day long. You get me to talk about radio and baseball? I mean, I need some tissues. When one of the greats, when the greatest of the greats dies? Yeah, this, this, is, this is a tough couple of hours to make through. Clay Henry in just a moment. Halftime brought to you by WT Equipment. Uh, You know they are open right now at their eight locations across Arkansas and North Louisiana. Also at the new location, WT Equipment is open in Springdale on the east side of the interstate between the Don Tyson and Johnson exits. New Holland agriculture and construction equipment dealer. WT Equipment features sales, service, and parts. So, get over to one of their eight locations and make sure to check out a selection of new and pre owned inventory. So, when you're ready to invest in a new or other agriculture equipment, please stop by WT Equipment. You can go to wtequip.com to get a look at everything they've got. Halftime back with Clay Henry after this quick break.
7: Eastside Liquor has more than just liquor. They also have wellness products and now carry Marley CBD gummies. They come in amazing flavors like Island Punch and Coconut Vanilla. They come in 200 milligram tin packs. So stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue and pick some up today. Now, back to the podcast.
3: Welcome back on Halftime. Clay Henry joining us today. Clay, how you doing, man? What's new? We had I'm you on good. a couple days ago. I'm sure not much. <laughs> I'm
9: good. I'm doing great. Yeah, it's uh... I've been uh, sorting through uh, muzzleloader guns today, trying to figure out what I'm going to take to Colorado to hunt my elk in September.
3: Wow. All right. So this sounds like some in- some very important decisions to do. How m- How long does that take you to make that decision?
9: Oh, I mean, I've just got to get uh, the gun that I'm going to take is my son-in-law's. Okay. And I've got to decide if we're going to take it. We have to take the scope off. You have to h- hunt with an open sight that's that's right down your alley right
4: Phil
3: yes absolutely that's what I've you know all about that probably. stuff that's yeah. why they call
4: him Phil De- dead Elson.
3: can't stop talking about him <laughs> uh, but I am interested in your trip when you do take it that's for sure that's yeah for, well, you can because I will not be talking to you, you that point. week that's right you will have to teach me how to load a muzzle loader at some point too um, our, our conversation in the first couple of the segments centered around, uh the uh, the career of uh, yep. vin scully and and his impact upon people uh, do you have a chance to hear to hear him all that much
9: yeah i mean when you do you can't turn it off yeah. i mean it's like poetry I mean, it is just uh, the you know he's got i'm not saying it's iambic pentameter but it has a it has a lyrical ring to it that no one else ever has mastered and it's just it was just a sweet way to call baseball. And Phil, there's there's a lot of good ones, and there's a lot of ways to do it. But there was only one Vin Scully, and it was, you know, they they talk about his great calls of you know of you know great moments, the drama. But it really didn't matter what game it was. You were going to get a story, and I'm a storyteller. But it's. Uh, and he had a way of doing it where it didn't un- interrupt the flow of the game or the flow of the game didn't interrupt him. Um, you, know, he'd, you know, he'd be in the middle of a story and it'd be strike two. And then he'd move on to the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah
3: ability to connect with people you know that's what communications are all about and it's such a difficult thing to figure out like how to do this in a proper way you want to be yourself you want to tell stories you want to be accurate with everything you're doing but sometimes it's just the way you are and the way that you talk and i feel that like uh, a a few days ago was the anniversary of uh, of paul eels's death and i felt like 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 paul connected with Arkansans, in a way that I think the nation connected with Vin Scully. Different broadcasters, obviously, and famous for doing different sports, but like in the way that they spoke, in the way that people talk about their personal interactions with them, I heard a lot of the same stuff about meeting Paul Eels for the first time as when people, you know, around Arkansas or people around the nation might have met Vin Scully. Graciousness, uh, understanding that this is a big moment for somebody when, when they're meeting you and and a lack of ego all at the same time, it's difficult to pull that off.
9: Well, I can remember when, when Paul first moved to Arkansas and immediately made a connection with my dad and Harry King and Jim elder, and they played in a regular golf game. And my dad called me pretty soon after that, maybe the first or second round. And he says, this guy's different. And he says, I I'm almost nervous that he's not real, that this, this is just a you know an act and cuz he says there's nobody can be this good all the time and he is and oh it was a few weeks later you know he said you know I've seen him in a lot of different situations about paul a lot of different situation and he's the most genuine good guy that there's ever come down the pike and and he was right but it it is you can't believe that there's never a moment where he slips out of that you know, he's always was always the same, and I'm sure Vince Scully is exactly like that, just as you said.
4: Mm-hmm. And, and when you listen to guys like Vince Scully or, or, or Jack Buck or Harry Carey or, or uh, you know, so many of these legendary voices uh, of different colleges and MLB teams that they had some bit of like a poetry to them. And you also go back and you read some stuff from, from, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s. There there was always a sense of poetry when it came to a lot of different types of journalism. How, why why have we kind of lost that and, and gotten more of a to a straight to the point, not really have the flair that those guys used to speak and talk with and write with?
9: Well, I don't know. And uh, I mean, I think, first of all, in writing, that you don't come you don't come out of journalism school with that skill it's not taught mm-hmm. they there's the they either have it or they don't and you may develop a style later and become a different writer and i think you know you, but you kind of have to earn that the, the ability to just fall into that that writing style that, but so there you you write features you report in from games and then there's there's column writers, and there's the Jim Murrays and, you know, the Dave Andersons and those who I grew up reading. And their style, I'm sure, wasn't that wasn't the way they were as polished journalists right off the bat. And I think radio was probably the same way. I Phil, don't you think you have to kind of get comfortable in your own skin to yeah, develop I, a style?
3: Yeah, it takes a while. I, I remember being... You evolve, whole- right? I was, be, I was told by Mike Lang, I think I've told this story on the show before, Lang was the longtime Pen- Pittsburgh Penguins voice who was who was wonderful at everything he did. And he told me this before I ever did like a, a couple of weeks before I ever did baseball play-by-play by, play by myself for the first time. He told me, you're not going to know what you're doing for like six or seven years. Just pay attention, and you'll grow into the role. And there's truth to that, and that really frightens you when you first start up. I can't imagine. I never heard Scully like his first few years. I never heard him... You know, when he was with the Brooklyn Dodgers, mm-hmm. um, I can imagine that he didn't sound then, you know, as comfortable as he did, you know, in the eighties and the nineties. It had to take some time
9: just to be totally relaxed. What he's doing, and and you know, Chuck Barrett's told me before, you know, like when I first got on radio, he says, Clay, you got to paint the picture. I mean, Finn Scully, he was, he was slow and methodical and lyrical in painting the picture and he did it I mean it wasn't just you know he told you about the weather he told you about the skies you know the shape of clouds I mean it, he he did all that stuff and it was just just gorgeous beautiful stuff
3: I think it's interesting you think of like some of the some of the people who have been connected to one organization specifically and drew I'll I'll push back a little bit about the idea of Harry Carey being poetic. I don't think <laughs> Harry Carey was all that poetic. I think he no. was comedic. I think it was a different thing. Jack Buck wasn't necessarily poetic, but there was something in his voice that dictated an immediacy of what's going on at that very moment. He was great at what he did, but a totally different style than Vin Scully. Denny Matthews, still doing Royals games. It's been it's like 45 years he's been doing Royals games, and he doesn't sound like Scully does. He, I mean, he has a more of a gruff sort of an approach uh, they're all different. They're all different. But Scully was the one. The word mellifluous is the word I would think of when, I'm ta- when, I, when I think of Scully's voice. Just like I said earlier, flowing water. Well,
9: I, I always just said he just had a sweetness to him, you know, the way he, he called the game. It just like, okay, just listen to this. You know, I, I know I've been in the car and he's been on. Uh, a game and I told my wife I said just this is the this is the real McCoy right here and um, you know it's like uh, you hear guys that, that have effort in what they're doing in their style like I'm not an Eli Gold guy you know the Alabama mm-hmm. and it just seems like what he does in all of that you know uh, I guess you know just spitting out the Alabama stuff you know the you know, when he gets to talking about Bryant and all that, it just seems forced. It doesn't seem smooth. And, but he's their legend. You know, he's the, the Alabama. There's no no one that they can never fire him or anything. <laughs> he's he's, he's actually, I saw voice I,
3: of NASCAR. I saw earlier today uh, Eli isn't going to be starting the season because of health issues. The Chris Stewart. Who does baseball and men's basketball for the Crimson Tide Radio Network will be filling in for at least the start of the season. I know Eli's had some health issues in the past couple of years, uh, but I don't ever think they necessarily took him off the air for a lengthy period of time. But I think this is a little bit different. I hope Eli's going to be okay. Uh, yep. He is a much different style. There's no doubt about that. A much different
9: style. But it, it's, it's like he forces that style. Uh, you know, it's like it's he's squeezing it out of the tube a little bit. You know, like he, <laughs> it doesn't flow. <laughs> like like Ben's style. Yeah.
3: You know what? I have to force that toothpaste out of the tube because you know you can't get it back. can't get it back. Eight seven seven three seven seven sixty nine sixty three. 377 If you have any remembrances about, hey, we'll take remembrances of Paul Eels too. Uh, I got some. I know you do. I know you do. We'll get to those in just a moment. Brought to you by The Fence Man. Great jobs available for fence builders or anyone with building experience at The Fence Man. You'll get great pay, and they offer a $500 sign-on bonus. Join the top fence building team in the state. That's The Fence Man. Got to apply in person in Fort Smith, 1213 North 32nd Street. The Fence Man is an equal opportunity employer. Much more halftime coming after the break, so stay with us. This is for the men who never settle. The ones who miss the fairway
0: all day and still pull out the big stick. The type of guys who will always prefer to be behind the grill than in front of the camera. And the men who never let their friends forget about a high school nickname. This is the lodge mentality. This is Twin Peaks.
4: Who wants to settle for a single TV? With more TVs, bigger screens, plus our fabulous scenic views, there's more to watch at Twin Peaks.
2: Possibly. Montana looking, looking, throwing in the end zone. Clark caught it! Dwight Clark! It's a madhouse at Candlestick with 51 seconds left. Dwight Clark is 6'4. He stands about 10 feet tall in this
1: crowd's
3: estimation. Yeah, Vince Scully also did plenty of football on CBS. Uh, before departing CBS for NBC Sports, you know he was paired with Pat with um, John Madden for uh, a number of games and might have ended up being Madden's partner. But CBS chose Summerall over Vince Scully, and then he left to go to C- to uh, NBC. Oh, we got JW in London on hold here. He says he's got something we hadn't quite thought of about Vince Scully. Hey, afternoon, all well, w- Yo.
1: well, you know I grew up in Northern California, and before I finally moved home to Arkansas, that but i tell you what, for us, L.A. was like Texas. Anything associated with L.A. was bad. And what was funny about Scully was that even though you wanted to hate him because he was associated with those damn Dodgers, you loved him. You could not keep from listening to him, and you wanted to hear everything he said. And you're thinking, you're not supposed to like this guy because he's with the dreaded Dodgers. But you love them, and then him doing football. Yeah, that was like that was like icing on the cake. But anyhow, you know, my daddy was a Cardinal fan, so I didn't. The main radio or TV in the house, if the Cardinals were on, I had to find the secondary one, and I could always find Scully someplace <laughs> doing <laughs> doing what he does. Anyway, thank y'all.
3: Thank you very much, JW. Yeah, I mean, people will remember the moments where they were when they heard a great moment from a great broadcaster like Vin Scully. And again, I think Arkansans feel very much the same way about Bud Campbell going back years, Mike Nail with men's basketball, of course, with Chuck and, and all the great baseball moments that he called and, and the two other sports that he's doing now, hopefully with me. Um, and and then, of course, Paul Eels and, and Clay. And you've got like how many you have to lose track of the number of Paul Eel stories that you've got that you can tell, haven't you?
9: Oh, there's some good ones. He's just, just a wonderful guy. I mean, just always so nice. Just he and Jim Elder were similar in that, that they, they always had something good to say to you about you or about your dad or, you know, just something that just makes you feel, you know, kind of warm and whatever. And, uh, but you know, like, my favorite was from my dad the first time he played golf with Paul, and Paul had played in a game in Nashville where you played two off the first tee. You know, you got a mulligan. You know, you you maybe didn't get to warm up, and, and so you hit your drive, and if you didn't quite like it, you know, you could hit another one. Well, they didn't do that in my dad's game, and you put it out. There weren't any gimmies. You just went ahead and hold it. It doesn't take much time just to go ahead and knock it in. And so Paul teed off first. It was at North, Old North Hills in, in uh, North Sherwood. Then he teed off, and it was kind of down the left side, maybe trickled into the rough, but it wasn't bad. And so he reached in his pocket for another one, and my dad said, wait a minute, Paul, are you going to play or are you going to practice? <laughs> and Harry and Jim are just rolling on the, the tee, just just laughing. And, you know, Paul put that ball back in his pocket, and he says, I'm playing, Orville. <laughs> so that's that was it was real golf with my dad. You changed the rules; it ceased to be golf. But that's a story on really both of them that they Paul loved telling that. And uh, there's there's another one. Keith Jackson told this at, uh and this involves my dad too at uh, Paul's service. In that, uh, no, maybe this was Ray Tucker, but uh, it was a Razorback basketball game in. Uh, you know in wintertime, you know the heart of the winter and it was a morning game and they both decided they could get back to little rock and malvern you know by just leaving right after the game and so they did and busted it over the mountains you know on the pig trail and anyway this is a this is a story from a trooper uh who stopped paul eels for speeding you know you know it it casts. That's the the little valley between the mountains, and uh, you know there was some icy sp- patches on the bridge, and the trooper pulled Paul over, and Paul gets out of the KATV station wagon, and he slips on the ice and falls down, and the trooper's trying to help him up, and he says, "This makes my day. I'm helping Paul Eels get up. This is just wonderful." In 15 minutes, I helped Orville Henry it up when he fell on that same little icy patch when i pulled him over so. <laughs> neither one of them got tickets by the way
3: oh but a story to tell for this trooper for the end of time that's for sure Yep. clay appreciate you man looking forward to having you on uh next week as well when we move to uh, hey we should hours. have
9: fun guys absolutely
3: yep. we will clay henry always appreciate have more him. time
9: for stories
3: yeah. yeah two hours whole extra hour of it that's right <laughs> as we get over to the hump in the second hour of halftime on a Wednesday. Don't go anywhere.
0: Why do people do business with First Western? Because First Western builds relationships with all of their customers. They partner for the long haul to help you with your financial goals over all seasons of life. First Western is prompt, responsive, and they deliver with quick answers and on-time loan closings. When is the last time your banker called you? you are looking for a high level of service and a financial partner who will listen and respond, try First Western. For more information, visit them online at firstwestern.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.
3: Hey, and welcome back into our studios for hour number two, halftime on a Wednesday. So we're on the downslope towards the weekend. And we got you for the next 60 minutes. We'll have a college football conversation with Bill King at the bottom of the hour. Later on this afternoon, Sam Pittman will have The first of eight visits with the Arkansas Sports Media. Uh, This will be a preview, of course, of what uh, practice will look like over the next month. But he does have seven other availabilities that are scheduled over the next uh, 30 days or so. Of course, all of the assistant coaches, including the coordinators, will meet with the media once each. Each of the position assistants will have uh, a couple of their uh players from that position group that meet with the media as well once throughout the month and so we'll have plenty of sam Pittman sound for tomorrow today's theme of course is uh, about the passing of the legendary Vince scully who i think in my estimation is the greatest broadcaster of all time not baseball not sports but just broadcasting um he's up there with you know edward r murrow mm. essentially he's uh, He's 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 up there with the most trusted man ever in news, uh, and 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 certainly, it's a sad day for uh, for all of us. But it's also a day to celebrate somebody that was picture perfect in what he did uh, for a living. And I think, I mean, Drew, Maddie, there are like thousands of calls you could you could point to, like on our on the on the sheet that we get day by mm-hmm. day there are probably 25 different Vin Scully calls that we could choose to play. You know, and, and the, 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 the call of uh, Koufax's first perfect game, uh, the call of Aaron's 715th home run, uh, the ball going through Buckner's legs, his final call. Mm-hmm. These are all incredibly famous calls. My guess, though, is his most famous call is of Kirk Gibson's home run. And we had Kirk Gibson. Somebody brought up Kirk Gibson yesterday in a totally different situation, uh, which was a little bit awkward. It was was Gibson like kissed his teenage girlfriend right in front of him. That's what I remember hearing yesterday. But I think this is probably the most famous call of Scully's career. And we hear just a little piece of it normally. You know, you hear the high fly ball to right field. She is gone, and and a lot of times they leave it at that. You might hear a little bit of what Scully said afterwards, but I the, the. there's more to just the moment of the pitch and the ball in the air and Gibson barely making it around the bases. So I wanted, I wanted to play not the entire at-bat, really just the, mm. the setup to Gibson coming out of the dugout, the home run, and a little bit of the crowd noise because he let the crowd do its thing for like 80 seconds. He was silent and let the crowd do his thing. I'm not going to give you 80 seconds of the crowd noise, but I am going to give you... During the crowd noise, you'll hear uh, a piece of an interview that I cut out earlier this morning of of Vince Scully going on David Letterman uh, in 1990, and he explains why he let the crowd do its thing, and you can hear the final part of the call, too. This is, well, to, to put it in the terms we use nowadays, hang this in the Louvre.
2: And look who's coming up all year long they looked to him to light the fire and all year long he answered the demands until he was physically unable to start tonight with two bad legs the bad left hamstring and the swollen right knee and with two out you talk about a roll of the dice this is it if he hits the ball on the ground I would imagine he would be running 50% to first base, so the Dodgers trying to catch lightning right now. Sacks waiting on deck, but the game right now is at the plate. High fly ball. When Gibson hit the home run, uh, it was a tremendous emotional experience and luckily, I didn't have to say anything. I mean, I just shut up and let the crowd go crazy until I calmed down because there's an animal magnetism about a crowd. It rubs off on you. It gets you all worked up. In a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened and now the only question was could he make it around the base paths unassisted you know i said it once before a few days ago that kirk gibson was not the most valuable player that the most valuable player for the dodgers was tinkerbell (laughs) but tonight i think tinkerbell backed off for kirk gibson And look at Eckersley, shot to his toe. They are going wild at Dodger Stadium, no one wants to leave. The
3: the call in and of itself is four and a half minutes long. I cut it down to about two minutes and ten seconds is four and a half minutes of the single greatest radio call, I think, in the history of professional sports. It was absolutely perfect. And you can't boil that call down to just the home run Mm. and just Gibson getting around the bases. The setup, the call, the silence, the explanation, and then comparing the season to pixie dust at the very end. You'll never hear anything better than that.
4: No, you won't. It's, it's it's why he is such a professional. And you go from you know, you talk about all the great moments that we could play. There's over 25 to 35 even 50 great moments that Vince Scully has called over a 67 year career with the Dodgers and in, in, in professional broadcasting. But you think about just day-to-day stuff. I mean, every single day, that's way the way that he sounded. You know, I'm obviously get a lot of Orioles stuff on my Twitter. And I was listening during the last break to the last time the Orioles played out in, in LA was 2016 Vince Scully's last year. And just to hear an, a, a call of him calling Manny Machado, a uh, three run home run in the fourth inning still sends shivers up your spine. I mean, that's what I think we all aspire to do is to be that type of guy, that type of broadcaster that not only people welcome into their homes, but truly, truly love and love to listen to, and and get goosebumps when they do listen to them. Amen. You know, it's 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 that type of professionalism, that type of talent. It's just unmatched. And and and
3: I could learn something from listening to that call too. And it's something I've tried to get myself to be a little bit better about. And it, it's let the crowd do its thing, let the crowd tell its story. You don't have to talk Mm -hmm. over the crowd sometimes. I have a little trouble with that every once in a while because you want to describe what you're seeing and the excitement and everything. But in a moment like that, in a moment where this is one of the greatest home runs ever hit and there are other moments where you could just be quiet and let the crowd do its thing, Mm -hmm. Not say. so often Bubba Carpenter will tell me about hitting, it's not what you swing at, it's what you don't Mm. swing at. So sometimes about broadcasting, it's not what
4: you say; it's mm-hmm. what you don't say, and, and when you don't say. And it. that's the great thing about doing a, a baseball or softball broadcast is that you ha- you can have those moments of silence. You know, when you go th- when you do play by play for for basketball or football, because it is such a high pace, much faster pace of a game that you don't really get the the feel of what it's like to be there, just the natural sounds. Uh, of it because you've got so much that you have to describe to truly paint the picture when it comes to a baseball broadcast like you're saying the silence doesn't take away from the broadcast it can it can add to it especially in the right moments when you use it right
3: and he knew he used it exactly the perfect way uh 877 we got charlie on hold here hey charlie how are you
5: Oh, I'm great. It was great listening to that. I mean, I when you listen to, you know, broadcasters like that, you know, you think of him, you think of guys like, you know, John Madden and just all those different great broadcasters that we had. I, I would definitely say he's probably the best ever. I, I agree. You know, when you get the call of Jackie Robinson and Corey Seager yeah. throughout your career, Justin Turner, I mean, come on. and He's done it so long, and... He's special. And, I mean, when you <laughs> – come on, Pixie Dutch? And, 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 you know, and just when you're able to do that. And he, he's kind of, you know, to be able to shut up and just let the crowd do their thing. I mean, that's just a special thing. I do want to toot you guys horn a little bit. Uh, I probably shouldn't do this. I'm going to try not to toot Drew's too much because it's Drew. But I will say I am so happy that this show is going to three hours. I am, I am so happy. I'm not going to say that I'm responsible for it. Uh, but I, I definitely don't worry. I've the third hour, here.
3: Charlie, is not the tuna hour. If you thought we were going in that direction,
5: <laughs> I know that. I get all that. I get all that. But I am so happy that uh, that this show is going to three hours, and uh, it's not about me. I, I, I just, it's about you guys. I mean, I know us as fans, we, we matter too. But I mean, you guys are, you know. I mean, it's like oh, uh, Barry Odom said. I mean you guys help us get to know the players and the coaches even more than we could know them because you guys are kind of right there. And that's what I enjoy. And I've always said this show here is so special to me because it's like a family atmosphere. And you guys remember when my granddad passed away. And so allow me to speak that day about that. I'll never forget that, you know, and there are certain, you know, things that you remember. And those that was a day for me that I truly appreciated you, you guys just allowing me to what, I mean, what show can you call in on and speak about something like that? I mean, not many are going to allow that. And I'm just happy that this thing is going three. And, uh, hey, it may not be the tuna hour, but, it, it. hey, I'll be listening. So I'm all about it. I appreciate you guys for everything you guys do. And y'all have a great day.
3: Hey, Charlie, appreciate it, Charlie. Appreciate, thank you very much for that. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned it yet today. But we go to three hours on Monday, 11 to 2. Uh, on halftime. And we'll continue to keep it halftime because it has 11 to 2 is when you should be planning, eating, and digesting your lunch. And as long as you're, you know, not Drew, because lunch is at 9, nine o'clock lunch in the morning. Is nine. And plus, Drew's that's really a lot
4: of rebranding and stuff that we have to do extra work, and we don't want to do that. Right. Halftime still works perfectly. That's right.
3: Hey, you want to come out and see uh, me and Drew at the Phoenix Avenue Hardy's location Friday for a live edition of Halftime beginning at 11, and you can enter to win the football trip of a lifetime. you got to finish your Hardy's Thick Burger in 90 seconds or less, and you are entered into the finals on August the 20th. And the winner gets tickets to see the Chiefs and the Titans on November 6th in Kansas City. That's uh, Friday. Drew and I will be at the Phoenix Avenue location, Hardy's, in Fort Smith. Back with more halftime.
4: Guys, it's all about confidence when it's time for sex. Am I right? Sometimes stress, anxiety, or just a bad day can affect your performance and ruin the fun and passion for both of you. But don't worry, bluechew.com is here to save the day. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew tablets help men combat all forms of ED. Because Blue Chew is an online prescription service, there are no visits to the doctor's office, No awkward conversations and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a very discreet package. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. BlueChew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredients and strength for your prescription. BlueChew tablets are made right here in the USA and they prepare and ship direct. So it's cheaper than a pharmacy. And here Here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code BELIEVE at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your first month free.
2: Can you believe this ball game is Shay? Oh, brother. Woo. So the winning run is at second base with two out, three and... Little roller up along first. Behind the bag. It gets through Buckner.
0: Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it.
3: And another great moment called by Vin Scully. Game 6, 1986 World Series. That was definitely for JT in Hot Springs, who's very upset with two calls I've played today Uh, Drew and Maddie, because JT is a Cowboys fan. Mm -hmm. And we played the Dwight Clark catch, Montana to Clark, NFC Championship game. And now another thing that JT is a fan of, the Boston Red Sox gets the treatment of the very same way. And yeah, that was dedicated to you, JT. So I hope you were listening at that moment. All for you, buddy. All
4: for you. See, that's the great thing about sports. You know, when these moments in time that we all remember... Most A lot of people remember them for the happiness, the excitement, the overwhelming joy that it brought to our lives. But on the flip side of that, that coin, that's a moment most people hate. A lot of people hate because it's yeah. a moment that brought us a lot of sadness and, and tears.
3: Well, you can at least agree that it was a great call. It a was. great moment, And get over it, JT. I mean, you've won three world championships on, since man. then. It's like 40 break. years ago. Give me a break. The Mets haven't even won a world championship since then. You got three. So I got the world's smallest violin <laughs> for you. As far as the Cowboys thing, don't worry. They're the most valuable franchise in American sports. And isn't that what matters? I think so. To ownership,
4: maybe. I mean, they've yeah. got a really nice practice facility, great stadium. I mean, Cowboy Village that's going up around the practice facility, I and mean, yeah, it, it's it's pretty cool looking. Now the trophy case is getting a lot of dust on it and it hasn't been opened in a while. But you know, that's not the thing that matters anymore. It's all about the Flash, and can they do the Flash in Dallas?
3: Well, we'll we'll find out in a, in a little bit. Red Sox, uh, they, they could still contend uh, trading deadline yesterday. And our Cardinals fans, um, are you pissed? Are you upset that you didn't get Soto? That you didn't uh, package all the top prospects uh, potentially like it seemed the Padres did? You know, Mazeliak said, we put, a, we put a, a package together. Their package was better than ours. Mm-hmm. And they ended up going out and shoring the starting rotation instead of getting the big bat. So, you know, you get Jordan Montgomery from the Yankees. Jose Quintana uh, and Chris Stratton from the Pirates. Stratton out of the bullpen, so you yeah, you got a couple of dynamic hitters, um, and and maybe maybe there's a, a you know a guy or two in that lineup that can wake up out of the slumber. But I think the Cardinals addressed something that was pretty important here, which one was the starting rotation, two they need the youth movement that's coming in. Mm -hmm. It is a a franchise that is is a little bit on the older side of things. And so I think in this situation, um, a little more planning for the future is not a terrible thing. And there's still, I mean, there are two games in back of the Brewers, Drew. I say, like, it's all about getting into the tournament. But when you're playing in the worst division in the National League, maybe the worst division in baseball, you got a chance to win that division, get a better draw Mm -hmm. theoretically. So maybe maybe for the Cardinals it is about winning that division and not necessarily just getting into the tournament. And having a better starting rotation, I think, helps them go, I wouldn't say like a long way towards winning that division, but it's a step forward.
4: It is a step forward, and you're right. And even John Lazak is right when he, you know, made the statement, you know, getting, getting to the postseason and getting the opportunity to get to the World Series. I don't think anybody's going to uh, claim that we're built to be a World Series club today. If we get hot, we can play with anybody, and hopefully we get hot. Now, that is a true statement. I'm not going to deny that. But you don't really like that that's your front office's plan going forward is hope, hope the bats get hot at the right time. You know, that's mm-hmm. baseball. That's baseball, Susan. If we can get hot at the right time, then oh, Nelly, you everybody better watch out. That's not a great plan to hear from your front office. Of well, I hope there we I hope there's a lot of luck. That's not that's not the comp. That doesn't really build a lot of confidence in a fan base of saying eh, if we get hot, we get hot.
3: By the way, I left the World Championship out of the car of the of the Red Sox. I left out 20, uh, 2018, which I shouldn't have because that was the one that Benny made that great mm-hmm. catch. And a couple of great catches too. Yeah, oh four, oh seven, twenty thirteen, twenty eighteen. Uh, Where so yeah, JT, world's yeah. smallest violin playing for the eighty six uh, Red Sox. My right
4: team's now. never even been in a World Series in my lifetime, so I don't uh, want to hear it.
3: Not going to happen. I don't think the Cardinals are getting there, but I think getting a getting a couple of good starting pitchers will will go a long way to uh, competing a, a better in the post in the in the pennant chase and and competing. Um, a little bit better in the in the near future meaning next year the year after again it's you, you you never know what you're getting with prospects um but what you read about Jordan Walker uh could be a you know a, a, an outstanding outstanding major league hitter soon and Mason Wynn who was a Razorback commit before going in the 2020 draft i don't know if he would have ever pitched at arkansas but there there's there's a thought that if Wynn doesn't pan out as a hitter that he could be a pitcher i mean he mm. threw in the futures game like a 100 mile an hour uh, ball from shortstop to first base so if you do that i saw that but is much, that
4: really that impressive yes i mean but how many oper- how many times do you actually need to throw the ball 100 miles an hour across the diamond like no, that it's not a matter that you have to do it but i mean a short the shortstop's
3: got to have the best arm on the infield got the longest Uh, I mean he's gonna have to have the range and stuff but the velocity goes along with the ability to throw it a long way so deep into the hole I mean I'll trust a guy who can throw 100 miles an hour more than I'll trust someone that throws at 90 and and it isn't necessarily even just the idea that how often do you have to do this it's that he can do it Mm -hmm. is that he can do it which means if he could harness that arm and he can't hit he's a pitcher He's a pitcher. First and foremost, he'd be a pitcher. Like, that's why Sean Dunstan stayed as a, as a shortstop, because he could hit. Mm-hmm. He threw 100 miles an hour from shortstop to first base, but he could hit. And, you know, they want a guy that can do two things. If Wynn can't hit, he's going to go on the pitcher's mound. And I think there's, there's probably, look, there have been plenty of major league guys who've, who've done that in the minor leagues. Troy Percival, uh, Wakefield, but for different reasons. Um, Trevor Hoffman. Blake Parker, for crying out loud, former Razorback Blake Parker, wasn't much of a hitter in the minor leagues. Mm -hmm. They put him on the mound. (laughs) He's, he's I mean, he hasn't been in the big leagues this year, but hopefully he'll get back. I mean, this is is the way things go. If you can't hit and you can throw the ball and you got a hose, they're going to put you on the pitcher's
4: mound. And there's nothing wrong with that. There, There really isn't. You know, it's just... When it when it comes to the future of the Cardinals, it does just feel like while there is some youth there, there is some good prospects there. I don't know how excited you you are though at this point, and I'm not saying that Juan Soto would have brought that excitement into it because I like I, I said it yesterday. I'm going to stand by it. You know, was it would it be worth it? Would it be worth to give up the good prospects that you already have? But how excited are you for this new chapter of Cardinal baseball? Once Holes, Yachty, and Wainwright are out, do you have any more hope in the new age that is coming through this this next generation to be any better? And so I, it just feels like St. Louis, and it's been this way for a while, that they're just kind of stuck in that middle ground of good, but not good, not enough. great. Yeah. Well, and I, I think
3: Cardinals fans feel, you know, the last the last couple of the trading deadlines, they haven't necessarily like been a very active mm-hmm. team, but I think they were more active uh, this year uh, than in the previous two, three years. I can't remember all the trades that have been made in the past two, three seasons, but just the fact that, I mean, you were down to two notable starting pitchers and a rookie that you don't know what you're going to get out of on a, on a game-by-game basis. And, and now you've brought in, Two pitchers who've been incredibly good this year, one on a bad team with Quintana and the Pirates Mm -hmm. and the other with Montgomery, a tall lefty. Uh, I think they addressed a very important thing that they needed to address. It just might have been an idea that they wouldn't have been able to trade for the pitching and Juan Soto at the same time. And for the Padres, man, I mean, is this really mortgaging the future? Potentially, it is a little bit mortgaging the future, but that'll all rest upon whether or not they sign Soto to a long-term deal and whether or not he's going to be a two-year rental player. All right, we'll take a quick break here on Halftime and joined by Bill King uh, after the break to get into some college football. Uh, But also want to remind you what's going on uh, very soon in Branson, Missouri. Starts tomorrow, goes through the 13th. It's the Cal Ripken Majors 70 World Series. Uh, This is a great tournament featuring some of the best players from Mexico, Japan, Canada, Korea, and the United States. Uh, And this tournament lasts from August the 4th through August the 13th in Branson. And uh, they've got a great uh, complex of youth baseball fields that look like major league fields. So it's certainly a lot of fun to go look at the fields. It's even better when they're playing baseball on them. And Drew and I are there uh, on Championship Day, August the 12th for a live edition of Halftime. That's the day the USA and the International Championships will be decided. Babe Baberuthbaseball.org for more information. And Bill King from Nashville Sports Radio on next Talk Some College Football. Whiskey River,
7: take Get by Eastside Liquor at 9390 Rogers Avenue in Fort Smith today and pick up a four-pack of the new Crown Royal Cocktails. Available in whiskey and cola, peach brewed tea, green apple, and now whiskey lemonade. Try some today. Now, back to the podcast.
3: Bill King from Nashville Sports Radio joining us here on Halftime. It's always good to talk with Bill, but now it's August, which means that football season is coming up very, very soon. Uh, Sam Pittman will be speaking to the media in about an hour and a half. Bill, how are you doing today?
10: Hey, guys. I was just had on baseball, and Andrew Benintendi's wearing pinstripes. What, what's up with that?
3: <laughs> it's one of these guys who's played for the Red Sox and the Yankees at uh, actually in just a matter of four years, three years. Right. So it's, uh, it's, it's really something else. Yeah, he, he was one of the first of the, of the bigger names to get traded uh, before the deadline. Of course, Soto ends up going to, the, Dodge, uh, to uh, right. the Padres yesterday. Of course, the big news in sports, really, and not just baseball, is the passing of legendary uh, broadcaster Vin Scully, and that's been the overarching theme to, uh, to the show today. Uh, did you get a chance to listen to Scully very much uh, over the course of your time? I'm not an
10: MLB guy at all. But I'm a Dodger fan. If I'm a fan of a team and when I could find a game on the radio that he was doing on a late night, you know, Pacific coast, I just sit there and listen. That nobody in the history of broadcasting a sport puts words together better than he does. And he did.
3: Nobody. Yeah. He just... I don't think
10: there's a I don't even think there's a close runner up to his was... ability to wordsmith.
3: Yeah, wordsmith, uh, description, um, friendliness always portrayed on the air, even in moments where you might have sounded, where you might have been, you know, upset that something happened to the Dodgers. Uh, as far as as far as college football goes, who 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 could you put in the same category or near the same category of of Vince Scully? Somebody that's always associated with one team specifically, but is still uh, admired. And, and loved nationwide. That's such a difficult thing to do.
10: Well, now you're talking about attached to a team. Really, the fan bases don't know much about the other guys. Play-by-play guy. The best ever to me now, and he's not at all style-wise like Scully. Totally different style. But it's Larry Munson, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And he was here in Nashville. I actually moved from Minneapolis, and then he moved to Atlanta to work for the Braves when they founded their team in the mid-60s and then ended up at Georgia. I actually got into it with Milo Hamilton. And that's what happened with the Braves, who apparently Milo's reputation as a get-along guy is not real good. So they had a falling out. But that 1980, Buck Blue lin Scott Florida call, that I've been playing for years on my show, is the most iconic college-produced call I think ever in college football. Now I'm biased because I, I knew Larry all those years, but I don't think anybody came close to him.
3: Bill, I, I didn't, I never knew anything about a Larry Munson versus Milo Hamilton thing, but I know Hamilton. Oh, I mean, I met oh, the guy. I met him. He, he and Harry me. Carey hated each other. He was basically run out of Pittsburgh. The writers and the media hated him there. He Correct. settled in in Houston Correct. where he became a legend, but, yeah, Milo wasn't the easiest guy to get along with.
10: Apparently, monstrosity of an ego, and he didn't like Larry at all. That that broke them up. Now I don't know how much time they spent together, but I know you could get them. If 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 God rest his soul, Larry was still around, he probably wouldn't be real kind about that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. But now that we are getting into to college football, two of the biggest. Uh, conversations will will obviously, and one of the biggest conversations will be uh, who's going to be under center, and there's a lot of question marks uh, around the SEC, especially um, in the SEC West. Think about you know A and M's battle and Ole Miss, uh, and then even LSU, which. Out of those three, which, uh, and heck, bring in Auburn with Calzada there, too. He hasn't fully won the job. Um, which quarterback battle is most intriguing to you out of the SEC West?
10: I think it's got to be LSU because Brian Kelly's new, and they've got a bunch of quarterbacks. you got a transfer from Arizona State. they got Walker Howard, Jamie Howard's son. He's a legacy five-star recruit. they got a freshman who played a year ago who's very, very good, and they've got a veteran who's been there forever, and gets to play when he's healthy, but he's never been healthy much. They're going to have to sit through that. They may even – it's not Brian Kelly's style, but they may even play two of them if, if if need be. Brian Brian is really hard on quarterbacks, too, and he, and he medals more on the offense than the defense. Mm-hmm. That one's going to be fun to watch.
4: It, it definitely will. And also just looking at you know the SEC in, in general, I, I don't know – I can't believe – I don't remember if we've asked you this question – but with Clark Lee and his comments from SEC Media Days a few weeks ago about, uh, you know, give us a few years, Vanderbilt's going to be a great program. Is there actually any s- sight of that happening, or are we going to just see the same old Vanderbilt this year? I mean, is there any actual hope around that program?
10: Well, it depends on who you ask the poll question to, but I'm, I'm an expert on this. The answer is no. You can't have any hope. You can't recruit. You can't transfer portals. You can't get people to transfer to Vanderbilt. First of all, the academic department probably wouldn't take them. Mm-hmm. That would be your first problem. And nobody with talent is going to transfer in there. You have a stadium that high schools fill better than that stadium. And when an opponent from the SEC comes, they overwhelm the stadium. They overtake the whole facility. It's it's a big mess. Now, they are building a bunch of facilities and doing all this pretty stuff, but all you're doing there is, is trying to catch up with everybody else who has facilities. It's, it's a big mess. Clark Lee, look, Clark Lee's from here. And he, he had, I don't know if you guys know this, but he played baseball at Belmont first and then transferred mm-hmm. to Vanderbilt to play football as a walk-on. And he did a really good job defensive coordinating Notre Dame, and he was at Wake Forest before that. He's a good coach. He's just in a place where you can't win.
3: I wanna go back to something you'd mentioned um, a moment ago about Brian Kelly. He used the word metal, medals in the offense a little bit. So if you're Mike Denbrock, who's his new offensive coordinator, obviously, you know, he hires somebody that he's like, look, I might get involved in some things over here. Yeah. Is this a I mean, is this a bad thing, Brian Kelly meddling in the offense? Because usually yeah. the word medal doesn't mean very good things.
10: Yeah, it is. It it's not an attractive term, but here's the point. They were together before. Denbrock was at Notre Dame with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they know each other. And you, to, to, to return with Brian Kelly to go to LSU, you would have to have vetted your past experience with him. And Brian can be a really charming guy, and he can be an angry Boston guy with a Boston temper. You can get either one. The, the, the thing about him is he's a brilliant football mind. And now that he's got his hands on a job like LSU, and it may take him a couple of years to just wade through everything, he I would be shocked if he doesn't do big things. Then. I would be floored.
4: I think most people would just because, I mean, he has a track record of success. I mean, you don't get to where he is in his coaching career without being a successful coach. But are—are are I've been seeing a lot of people kind of point to LSU as a sleeper team, as, as somebody that you know, has all the talent in the world. I mean, heck, you go back the last three years, I think they have either the first or second most draft picks in the SEC in the last three years. So, obviously, the talent's still there. Are you buying into the into the don't don't uh, be surprised if Auburn does have a, ha- have a good year? You mean LSU? Or, I mean, sorry, LSU. I'm, I don't know why I said yeah. Auburn at the end. I, th- I mean, I think they can go
10: eight and four. Maybe maybe if everything went well 9-3, and three. I don't think there's enough personnel to be a threat to an Alabama's roster or a Georgia's roster if they played them. I don't think they're there yet, uh, but I think they're 8-4, good 9-3. and three. Th- Their main problem is going to be the offense. They've got to sift through those quarterbacks like we talked about. Uh, they have the Tayshaun Boutte kid who's a star receiver. Cannot lose him. Cannot lose him. Offensive line's been a little spotty as well. That's got to get better. Defense ought to be really. Their defensive line is a bunch. It's not Clemson. Clemson's got the best D line, but it, it's – I'd say it's a top 10 D line. So they inherit that. And, again, they've got talent. They don't have 99 – talent or, or, well, 2,099, i meant they They don't have that kind of 19, I'm at. But, but they're going to be good. And I would say in a year or two, their recruiting's going better. They're up to – last time I checked, guys, they're up to about number 10, 11. And they're about to flip a quarterback in state that uh, had committed to Purdue, a kid named Ricky Collins, who is a very good player. Louisiana guys is loaded, not just Arch Manning, Eli Holstein, loaded with quarterbacks this year. So they're in good shape.
3: Well, so LSU also has brought in 16 Division I transfers. That's second most in the SEC to Mississippi. Correct. The Rebels have brought in 17. Missouri is the other team that has double digits there at 10. Hogs have brought in five, which is right about where a lot of the other teams are. Georgia? Not a single incoming transfer. The only team in the SEC that doesn't have even one incoming transfer. What does that tell you about how they've recruited in the last few years?
10: If they don't want to, they don't have to go get any. Clemson doesn't do much of that either, at all. Alabama does, though. And you can recruit the top class every year to Alabama, as we know. But now he's just taking advantage of fucking kids off other rosters. And, and it's pretty much legal nowadays. Georgia doesn't have that philosophy now. Eric Gilbert, one of their tight ends, is a transfer, but he's from Marietta, and he was at he was at LSU, as you all remember, and then had some personal problems. He's a big time five star. If he's playing well, he counts maybe. But but you're right; they don't they don't have to do any of that.
4: No, they definitely don't, Bill. And, and speaking of recruiting, I, did you see the weird story uh, of the? Uh... Florida commit, uh, last week that brought out real live alligators. Like why, do, why do people, why do these recruits feel like they have to do these elaborate and just weird things? And, and what's the weirdest commitment one you've ever seen?
10: Well, I don't know if it was a prop or something, but I've seen kids commit on TV or let's say it's videoed, or I've seen it on national TV where the mom's sitting there, and she's disgusted with his announcement. Mm. Totally like, I disagree with this, Mm. I can't believe you stood up here and said that, and I do not check off on this. I've had that happen. That's probably about the most, if you want to use the term, awkward. I've seen that happen, and it turns into a pretty
3: contentious thing. Mm. I remember watching, I don't remember who it was, but I know that when you're talking about the mom, the mom's on one side, the dad's Uh. on the other side, mom just got up and walked off. She just got up and walked off right right in the middle of her son's announcement, and I'm like, "Wow, way to make it about yourself, mom." I know. Wow. Yeah. Bringing in live alligators is a different thing. Eh, it's it's weird be about being viral. It's got to be about being viral, and more than anything else. Hey, Bill, we'll we'll run here. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for hopping on. Hey, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. You got it, Bill. Appreciate King. it, Bill. Nashville Sports Radio. They want to be viral, don't they? Otherwise, why would why else would you bring on an alligator? Otherwise, you maybe give an alligator wrestling lesson.
4: I mean, maybe, but would you want to be up there holding two live alligators? And from the picture I'm looking at, I can't tell if the mouths are taped. If the mouths are taped, maybe. And but come
3: a, on. We've got four, we've got four listeners who've texted in reminding us that Alex Alex Collins' mom did not like his decision, so she ran off with the signing papers. <laughs> Literally ran off with the signing papers. I remember when that happened. That was one of the more bizarre things, too. Uh, recruiting recruiting. Just basically it's always interesting. it's all it? about being bizarre. 877-377-6963 to get with us as we wrap things up after the break on halftime.
7: Attention, tequila lovers. Get by Eastside Liquor in Fort Smith and check out their full selection of Cava de Oro tequilas, including Blanco, Reposado, Anejo, Extra Anejo, Cristalino Anejo, Plata Tajona, and Extra Aged Anejo in the black bottle. Available at Eastside Liquor at 9390 Rogers Avenue in Fort Smith. Now, back to the podcast.
3: Uh, wrapping things up on halftime here, I see that Connor McGregor is going to be acting in the remake of Roadhouse, which
4: is due to be released what? by Amazon Prime Video. I don't think he's playing the Patrick Swayze part. Hopefully that, he's not. That might have been the weirdest thing that I've heard all day yeah. and probably we will be the weirdest thing. Con- he's got to just have like a guest appearance like at the end of it or... Like he can't be playing an actual like main character in the film. Like it, the, I, the the story that I'm
3: looking at doesn't say what character he'll play. Jake Gyllenhaal will play Dalton, okay. uh, the, the bouncer. But this is a you know it's an updated it's an updated uh, version of, of Roadhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember exactly what this the Patrick Swayze Dalton did before moving into the town where the movie takes place. But I think was just a professional
4: bouncer because he that's what I I think I he was. Yeah, they remember uh, if at the beginning of the original one, like he's a bouncer at like a club in New York city or something or a big city. And then gets the job at the, at the honky tonk in, in the small town because well, he's the bouncer version. to clean it up. This is a much different version.
3: It is a Hall starring as the main character as a former UFC fighter who becomes a bouncer in the Florida ah. Keys. I'm pretty sure the original didn't take place in the
4: Florida Keys. I don't think it did either. Maybe that's where Conor McGregor comes in. He, he comes in as the guy that ruined Jake Gyllenhaal or Dalton's character, Dalton, uh, UFC career. Maybe that's where we get to see him.
3: Well, there's two things you got to have uh, as far as the, the, the update is concerned. The, I mean, you, you can't have Roadhouse without the villain's throat being ripped out. Mm-hmm. And you can't have Roadhouse without the phrase, pain don't hurt. These things have to go into the remake. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's, there's no reason to go. Who's
4: going to play it. Sam Elliott's character?
3: Sam Elliott's still alive, isn't he? he? Is. I mean, he could still play it. I don't know I he mean, could I could it'd be little little, he he
4: did in the movie. It'd be a little weird of a, of a friendship dynamic there. A little bit of an age gap between Jake Gyllenhaal and Sam Elliott, but... See, that's, that's the thing with these remakes. You know, some of them are decent, but a lot of them are just really, really bad, especially when you go back to, like, really iconic 80s movies like Roadhouse. Like, the first one that comes to mind, the, did y'all see the remake of Red Dawn? I did not. I did it, not want to see the it remake wasn't of good. Red Dawn. I it was wasn't good. I was not interested good. in it. And it... Honestly, like, you see these remakes, you're like, oh, great. Another way to have the nostalgia of the same story, but I get to see it all over for the first time again. And it, it just... It almost ruins a lot of things. Like I'm not like, a big remake guy, but you know, he's their own. I think it would have been fun if you take the end of
3: Roadhouse. It's like what it's like what Top Gun: Maverick was. Mm-hmm. It was here's what happened 25 years later, 30 years later. Obviously, Patrick Swayze is dead, yeah, so, so. you can't bring him. But you well, know, maybe he had well, CGI. Son. I mean, we've That's seen true. a lot of dead people in movies. Gary Fisher still acts in Star Wars. She does. He does. We might be might be able to pull this off.
4: I think there's a good enough CGI and enough film that we could make it happen. I mean, is that the thing? Is Jake Gyllenhaal Dustin Jr.? I mean, if if he's, you know, Swayze's son or nephew or, you know, picking it up where it left off, then yeah, great. But if it's the exact same story to a T, it's just not going to be great. To borrow the line from the blind guitarist in the
3: original movie, the name's Dalton. Not Dustin. Sorry, I don't know why I said <laughs> Dustin. That's on me. That was another one of the uh, of the uh, the famous lines from it. Anyway, we'll see if we uh, we'll see if we feel like watching that thing. Um, Nick Saban apparently said last year was a rebuilding year for the Alabama Crimson <laughs> Tide football team. Said this on Kulik and McElroy in the morning. <laughs> Man, Saban's got in jokes. Birmingham.
4: He belongs to he belongs to the Apollo with those with those zingers.
3: That's right. A rebuilding year is is your quarterback winning the Heisman, um, and, and you make the national championship game, game, winning the division and then losing in the national championship. Was it a
4: rebuilding year because you had to go to overtime with Albert? Was it a rebuilding year because you only beat Arkansas by 7? I mean that that's absolutely laughable. I mean uh, you know, I've been critical of Nick Saban and some of the things that he said, and oh, especially when it comes to fair and balance, the, the new phrase that he loves to throw out, and then he's now a pioneer for the little guy. He's a pioneer for the have-nots. Even though he knows he's a have, he wants to make sure the have-nots don't get left out in the cold, like, which is absolutely ridiculous. Now you're going to come out and tell me. You're going to tell me that last year was a rebuilding year? That's absolutely it's a joke. It's it's insane. You don't get to play the same coaching cliches as everybody else. But I didn't. by the way, BJ uh, in uh, on our text line here remarks that yeah, Red Dawn
3: and Roadhouse both Patrick Swayze movies, mm-hmm. both got remade. Can we not redo Dirty Dancing, unless you get mm-hmm. Jennifer Grey back in the movie? About to it looks say. so much different. Now. Who's playing baby? Yeah. Who's playing baby? Who's gonna play Patrick Swayze, man? CGI. I don't know. CGI. Back on halftime tomorrow. It's been fun today. Rest in peace, Vince Scully. For Drew and Maddie, on Phil, get up, get out, get better.
0: You're listening to the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast at hitthatline.com. This podcast is an exclusive property of Pearson Broadcasting. It may not be copied, reproduced, modified, published, uploaded, reposted, transmitted, or distributed in any way without Pearson Broadcasting's prior written consent.
4: This podcast has been presented by Bet Online.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for
7: B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
0: When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do